You're listening to the Vendo Podcast. All right. Welcome back to another episode of the Vendo Podcast. I am super excited to have with us all the way across the pond, um, Leonardo Felizberto. And I'm sure I butchered your last name. Is Felizberto or Felizberto? Uh, Felizberto. So it's actually uh, Portuguese origin. Yeah, yeah. Portuguese. Great country, by the way. I love Portugal. I've been there. Um, So super excited to talk to you today. Uh, Leonardo is the Global Head of Partnerships at Seller Funding. Um, Very appropriate time for us to have Leonardo on to talk about this as companies are figuring out struggles with supply chain, getting goods, paying for those goods, funding their businesses, funding growth. Uh, So super excited to dive in here. Uh, As I like to start with, Leonardo, please introduce yourself to our audience. Tell them about yourself. Yeah, we'd love to. Uh, first and foremost, uh, thanks for having me on, Darren. Really appreciate it. Um, long-time listener, uh, first-time speaker. So uh, <laughs> really, really happy to be on here with you love guys. That. Uh, appreciate <laughs> it. Uh, so a little bit about myself, just, just personally, so you guys get to know me a little, a little bit more. i um, actually originally from Brazil. Uh, my family moved to the U.S. when I was 10. Uh, therefore, I don't have the, uh, the fancy Brazilian accent. Uh, I sound like a gringo. But um, and so my background growing up in the U.S., um, Went to uni, studied econ and um, corporate five, and ended up in 2008 uh, joining Wall Street uh, right out of school, uh, which was a heck of a time to uh, enter the financial markets. Uh, For those of you that may be too young or were in diapers at the time, uh, that was the start of the financial crisis um, in the US and globally. Um, So I definitely think I've, I've earned my stripes just kind of, you know, diving into that. Um, and then shortly thereafter, I actually moved to Switzerland um, and I was doing banking there. So covering Latin American markets, uh, spent about two, three years there. Um, really, really good experience. I mean, there's so much history and legacy right around banking um, in Switzerland specifically. Um, and then moved back to the U.S., uh, New York, uh, where I was covering mostly institutional clients, uh, basically advising them across their balance sheet. Um, so on the asset side of things, so advising them on their invest- investments, um, and then on the liability side, um, helping them with uh, different credit solutions for uh, their businesses, transactions, acquisitions, um, things like that. Um, and then fast forward to 2018, uh, my wife and I moved to, to London, uh, where we are now. Um, and shortly thereafter, the CEO of Sellers Funding, who I had known um, from my previous work at JP Morgan, um, called me up, um, told me about this company that he had just started about two years prior uh, that was taken off in the U.S. And, you know, he was looking to expand it into Europe, um, starting with the U.K. and kind of sold me on the dream and asked me if I wanted to, you know, hop on for a ride. Um, and I did. So uh, basically for the past two years, what I've been doing is focusing on building the business here in the U.K. and by extension across continental Europe. Um, from the ground up, essentially. Um, and, you know, it's obviously a few bumps in the road uh, with uh, the unexpected pandemic. Uh, but as we all know, has served as a huge tailwind um, in our space. Uh, but yeah, that's just a, a little bit about me and still, still in London and now kind of dual-hatted as I think most of us are in startups or, you know, in bootstrapping our own businesses, so to speak. So I still oversee our UK European business, but um, in conjunction with that, I also um, head up partnerships for for sales funding globally. That's that's awesome. Thank you for the for the background. I thought you were going to say dual hat, dual remote 
father at the same time as I'm working, as we talked about before the podcast, like there's a lot of hats. Yeah. There's a lot yeah, of that's, hats. That's the main hat for sure. Exactly. Exactly. For sure. So I, I appreciate the background where you came from, how you got to seller funding. Um, yeah. I think, you know, this is a unique topic for us. It's not something we typically cover on our episodes, but it's important uh, because it affects a lot of things, supply chain, funding growth, uh, funding inventory, like all the different things that you need to run your business, knowing your numbers, right, as part of this being important with the increase in FBA fees and so many things happening. Uh, it'd be great to get your take and thought on just the overall marketplace landscape, walmart.com, Amazon, Amazon International, Shopify, and, and the supply chains that are affecting those marketplaces and how a company like seller funding kind of plays into that in, in a big way. Yeah, no, absolutely. Happy to, to walk through that. And I'll take it in, in pieces. So, so first, I guess, starting with the uh, supply chain issues, right, which is such a hot topic nowadays. Um, I think it's, it's top of mind, um, you know, to, to everyone. Um, our, our perspective and, and what we've seen, um, our experience is that we think that it's, it's here to stay, at least for the foreseeable future. Um, the kind of uncertainty around it, right? Um, however, we also think that it's going to drive systemic change in the space as well, right? Um, so what I mean by that is I think we're going to see change, whether it be via policy, right? So I don't know if uh, you had seen, Darren, but this was probably a month or so back now with uh, the CEO of, of Flexport, effectively with, with a tweet that he had sent out. He, uh, he changed policy in, in California, uh, in um, in Long Beach, uh, specifically due to um, the the bottleneck that was going on with uh, with the port over there, and um, you know, a couple of ideas that he had just kind of sent out, um, it, it reached enough people for them to you know make a change around that. So I think we're going to see um, a lot more in the way of kind of regulatory and policy change um, as it relates to, to supply chain, um, and then the other side too is innovation, right? Um, as with everything else, I think. Uh, you're going to see a lot more digitalization um, in processes, um, especially in something as archaic as just supply chain, right? Um, so I think that that's going to drive some significant change in the space. And I'm not saying that that's going to happen overnight, but I think that's kind of what's what's going on in the background, um, it would be our opinion. Then lastly, um, regional shifts. And I think we're already starting to see a little bit of that, um, especially just via our network, like I said, my background, I'm originally from Brazil, so is our CEO and our co-founder, both Ricardo and, and Fabio. So, um, you know, very strong ties to, to Latin America. And, you know, I think you're already starting to see um, a lot of sellers and businesses look for other, other, other places to source their goods, right? And, you know, Brazil and Mexico are, are two that come to mind that, you know, make a lot of sense from a geographical standpoint, right? Um, as it relates to North America, specifically the US. Um, uh, and also from a, uh, a cost standpoint too. Um, so very, uh, very favorable uh, currency, um, you know, as it relates to, to the US. So I think those are some of the changes that I think we're gonna start to see over the next year or so as it relates to, uh, to the supply chain. Um, uh, I'm just curious on that supply chain, sorry to cut you off. I'm no, just sticking no. with that real quick. We're so focused here in the U.S. on the U.S. We pretty much have tunnel vision when it comes yep. to everything else going on in the world. Sometimes, um, I'm uh, I haven't followed much in the U.K. or excuse me, whether it's U.K. or Europe. Are there similar supply chain clogs or issues? I know the Long Beach port. I mean, it's literally down up the street from us here. We've yes. seen the ships sitting off the coast. 
But right. I'm curious, how is it affecting, or is it affecting any other international markets? Oh, it absolutely is. Uh, yeah, no, we're, we're seeing a lot of that and we're hearing it directly from our clients here in the UK. Um, you know, so obviously the, uh, the uh, Suez Canal, right? Uh, yep. That whole yep. thing disrupted um, over the summer was disrupted. Um, uh, you know, a, a lot of goods kind of reaching the UK specifically and the rest of continental Europe. Uh, but beyond that, what we're dealing with over here too is a good old Brexit still. Right. Uh, yeah, right. So there, there's a there, there's a <laughs> lot of that that that's still you know uh, uh, you know is yet to be sorted. Um, so that's where I think uh, a lot of the issues kind of uh, you know end up coming up coming about. Got it. No, thank you. All the, the, that's very helpful. Um, just switching topics to kind of the the growth and how seller funding plays into it and the different different types of funding that are available. Uh, maybe if you want to educate our audience a little bit on, on some of those things. Yeah, no, happy to walk through that. So, so maybe just kind of taking a, a 20,000 foot view, right, of, of the space in general, um, because I, I think that for a lot of sellers, the, the biggest thing, it, so we'll try to make this as interesting as possible. Finance tends to be a very, very dry topic, right? Hey, uh, I but, think it's a sexy it's, topic. I, I'm, I'm it's right money. We're you. talking about money. That's, that's you know? exactly right. It's most important. It's as personal as you can get, right, for most people. Um, and Let's be clear. Just, a lot of people aren't selling products on Amazon and Walmart for some altruistic purpose. The majority exactly of the sellers right. are selling to make money. So we're here to educate them how to maximize their growth, their return. So I promise you, everything you're putting out here is very valuable to our audience. Absolutely. No, that's great to hear. And, and it is such a, a critical component of, of any business, right? I would even go as far as saying that, you know, cash flow is the lifeblood of, of a successful business, right? Uh, of a business that, that is thriving. Um, so, so with that, I think education is a huge component, right, uh, in this space when it comes to finance, because you're right, there, there's so many options out there, right? And we kind of talked about this earlier from, you know, your traditional revolving credit lines to term loans. Um, that, so just to explain a little bit more on, on those, so term loan is typically going to be 12 months, right, in maturity, and it's quoted at a, a stated APR, so an annual percentage rate, right, where you receive a lump sum and it, it gets amortized kind of like a mortgage does, right, and similar uh, works with a, uh, a revolving credit line or a credit limit where you're approved for a max amount, you draw down as you need it, um, and then obviously as you pay that balance down, it's dynamic in nature where it kind of pops back up your available balance, right? Yeah, so like that, a large that's credit revolving, card. That's exactly right. So that, that's kind of the revolving nature of it. And then I think what's been most common in the e-com space specifically is revenue-based financing, right? And, and, and it takes a couple of different forms. Um, mer merchant cash advance actually is, you know, a type of uh, revenue-based financing. Um, it, the percentage of your sales that's collected um, until you you pay back the, the amount that you've withdrawn, let's say, plus interest, right? Merchant cash advance specifically is done via your payment processor, right? So it's a percentage they collect of your credit for debit card sales. Um, so that's kind of just, just the landscape. Um, the way that we position ourselves in the market is as a growth partner, right, for sellers. So we specialize and focus only on e-commerce. So we think we understand pretty well what the challenges and pain points are of sellers. And we've essentially built out um, our platform um, and our solutions um, with that in mind, right? So specifically to, to address the challenges and, and pain points of e-commerce businesses. So just to give you an example, um, all of our credit solutions have some sort of grace period or interest limit period, 
right? And that's more important than ever. Again, going back to the supply chain issues we're right. talking about, because that gives them a runway to before they have to start paying back that loan, right? Um, so the interest only period, we go up to 120 days. Um, and then we offer a grace period whereby they're not paying anything for up to the first 60 days, right? And, and you think about how long, especially nowadays, it's taking for you to put in you know, a, a purchase order um, before that product is actually in the virtual shelves and you're receiving proceeds from it. It's going to take you anywhere from you know, three, four months plus, right? Um, so having that runway to, to give your cash flow some room to breathe is, is very important, um, we feel, for clients. And then um, another feature that, that we have kind of with this in mind as well is no prepayment penalty. Um, so our revolving credit limit, uh, we allow clients to pay back um, without incurring any additional fees um, ahead of kind of the, the end term or the maturity date uh, of the loan. That, uh, so super helpful to understand kind of some of your terms and some of the financial terminology we'll dive into here. Uh, here's some good insights. I think I'll combine a couple of questions into one for our yeah. audience. In your opinion and your experience, what do you think are some signs that a business needs that funding to either survive or grow? Uh, and then how do you determine which type of funding is best for either or any other scenario? Yeah, no, those are, I think, the questions that we lead with. And, and to answer that, I kind of, I pose a question back to, to our merchants, which is the why. I think that's, that's the most important component that, that they need to answer. So why do they need funding, right? Um, and so um, if it's to invest, let's say, in a product that has a proven ROI, right, um, be it to use those funds to purchase more inventory, or to increase ad spend, or maybe it's to develop a new product line for a business that's already established and successful or um, expand into a new region. Uh, those are all reasons that, that we look at as, as you incurring good debt, right? It makes sense for the business. What you're doing is um, you're, you're, you're benefiting from the cash flow in order to um, maximize or accelerate um, a a proven or determined ROI, right? Um, on the other hand, um, there, there are some folks that look for funding in order to quote unquote, save their business, right? Um, and that's what we consider to be bad debt. Um, so this is a business that, you know, doesn't have a proven product. It's a product that is not selling or, you know, has very low demand um, or maybe the issues with management or operational, right? Um, so if they're looking for funding to just keep the lights on, so to speak, um, there are other issues at play, um, we say, that should be addressed first before um, thinking about cash flow and incurring debt uh, for a business that, in the long run, may not be in a position to sustain that debt, right? And, and um, so that speaks to knowing your numbers, right? That's, that's, that's exactly right. And, and, and it's imperative that all sellers know the numbers um, top to bottom of their business, right? Because at the end of the day, when you kind of just break it down, profits you're only going to be able to increase one of two ways, right? Either increasing sales, top line, or reducing costs, right? And then, so I think if you know each and every line item of your business, you're in a better position to kind of manage and tweak and optimize. Um, you know, if, if you have a sound understanding of, of what your numbers are. Um, and then in terms of the second part of your question, which is how you determine what type of funding option is best for you, Mm -hmm. um, I think that the two main factors that 
that we look at and I think are of critical importance are timing and amount, right? So what I mean by that is I think you want to, sellers should match the timing of the funding that they need with what that money is being spent on, right? So let's say that uh, you need funding for an upcoming inventory purchase, right? And you know that that inventory that you're going to buy has a specific ROI, right? Has an ROI of X. So what you want to ensure is that you match the timing of that ROI with the cost of, of funding for that same period, right? It doesn't make sense for you to take out a loan that's one year in maturity when the ROI on that spend is going to be over a six-month period, right? Because then sure. you're not comparing apples to oranges. Um, and that also ties in with the pricing, right? So, so making sure that the ROI um, on that specific investment that's being made via the funds uh, that you're borrowing uh, is higher than the cost of that capital, right? Um, so that's, I think, two of the main components is timing and amount, making sure that the amount specifically is the amount that ties with the investment that you're making. Because a lot of times what we see and because clients come to us and say, oh, you know, XYZ offered us more, right? But, but if you don't need that cash flow, if, if that cash is just going to be sitting idle, right, in an account, there's a cost to that cash, right? So um, you need to make sure, and again, it goes back to knowing your numbers, right? That um, you're using those funds with intent, right, for purpose, rather than just because you have X amount available, you're going to take that all down, but you're, there's money that's being spent um, as a result of that. I feel like I'm back in finance 101 here a little bit, the <laughs> time matching principle, right? That's exactly money, right. All those things. No, I, I mean, again, these are, these are fundamentals that sometimes you lose sight of as you're operating your business and you want to focus more on the sexier stuff of advertising or optimization and you just forget, sure. hey, wait, there's a whole foundation in place here that needs to be paid attention to. So let's dive into seller funding itself. As we know, it's a very competitive space. There are uh, some other, um, as our audience might be more familiar with, a payability, a payoneer, because they're partnered with large retailers, et cetera, or cabbage. Um, but I'd love to hear, because I was impressed with seller funding's platform and some of the additional tools and resources that are actually available to help uh, okay. sellers, even at no cost to some degree. Uh, it would be great for you to speak to that as benefits for our audience too, and what makes it different. Yeah, no, happy to. Thanks, Darren. Um, so I, I'd say there are two biggest differentiators for sellers funding when you kind of take a look at, at our peers, right, in the space that we operate in. Um, I think first is the breadth of our platform, um, whereas other folks in the space um, focus on, on one specific service or product, right, whether it be global payments or foreign exchange or working capital, we combine all of that under one roof, right? Um, so that does two things. I think it it streamlines processes for businesses um, so they don't have to waste time looking at different providers and transferring funds between different providers or you know whatever the case may be. It's, it's a lot easier for them to manage if it's all housed um, on, under one platform. Um, and then two, as a result of that too, there's kind of economies of scale, there's a bundling opportunity where um, it's more cost-effective for businesses, right? Um, so an example of that is we're able to offer um, international payouts um, advanced international payouts uh, for clients. So if a client is based in, in the US, selling in the UK, we combine the receivable account in GBP with daily payouts, so they don't have to wait for the two weeks for the marketplace to pay out. 
So on a daily basis, they're receiving US dollar, their home currency for a product that's being sold in the UK. Same would apply to Europe or vice versa if you're based in Europe selling in the US, right? So that's kind of one benefit um, of, of the offering. And then uh, the second component of that, I think diving a little deeper into the working capital is what we had mentioned earlier is the flexibility around our offerings. Um, and then lastly, as you had said, kind of moving away from the, the paid products uh, specifically is our seller signals platform. Um, and I think that's been a huge differentiator for yeah. us because I think the way that, that we're also trying to position ourselves in, in the market is to take a more holistic approach and be more of, of an advice-led uh, partner uh, to our clients versus uh, just a transactional um, you know, service provider uh, to our clients. And I think a big component of that is you know, providing as much insight as possible to our clients on their business, right? How it's performing, kind of giving them a, uh, a look at their business through our lens is how I like to, to kind of explain it, is the way we would underwrite or perform due diligence on the business um, we share some of that analytics with our clients. Um, so they kind of get a sense of how they're performing, right? And what are some areas of their business that, you know, can be optimized? And we tie that in with, you know, different resources that they could leverage in order to make those improvements and adjustments um, on their business. So the Seller Signals, which is a free tool um, for all of our clients, um, allows them to get a valuation of their business and generate a variety of, of reports and insights um, in order to optimize their business as well. Yeah, uh, so I absolutely encourage our audience and we'll put the links in the show notes. Seller Signals, that's what I was trying to remember, uh, yeah. really was intriguing to me versus some of these other platforms where you don't get that. And I love the way you phrased it, transactional versus ad, uh, advice-driven collaborative process yes. that you guys offer, unique, uh, more of a relationship, right? Really don't look at us as just, hey, we're here as a bank. We really are here to be kind of your partner, very similar to how Vendo positions himself. Uh, exactly. I know a lot of our sellers, at least on the Amazon side, are always hit with Amazon lending offers. Um, as a seller in the past, I know um, we've we've dabbled in those. I'm curious okay. what your perspective on Amazon lending uh, is. And just before you talk there, there was a little static or feedback uh, on the on the headphones there, just in case. I, I don't know if there was something that was moving. Oh, sorry about that. Yeah, that's it's better. better. That's perfect. You're good. Okay. Keep going. Right. I'll, I'll try to be as still as possible. Awesome. You're good. Um, yeah, Amazon lending for sure. Um, I'd say even you know more so than some of the other competitors that that you had mentioned earlier. Uh, they're probably the ones that that we run into the most. Um, but I, I I look at us as being complementary to Amazon. If if I'm being honest, right? Obviously, um, they provide their lending service uh, in partnership with. Marcus, right, run by uh, Goldman Sachs. So their cost of capital is a lot lower than ours is, right? So just we'll just kind of tell it how it is. So they are able to to offer uh, very competitive rates, right? Uh, which we're not too far off from, um, but it's going to be hard to be kind of you know on average, let's say, right? But I think where we differentiate ourselves is, is I think the audience probably knows very well already is. The way that Amazon lending works, right? Where it's kind of take it or leave it, right? It's yeah. by offer only, um, and it, it's there, there's no flexibility around it, right? So totally. you're offered X, these are the terms, take it or leave it, right? And that's not how we operate. So I think that's how we differentiate the most. And then um, obviously um, your entire life is already owned by Amazon, so maybe <laughs> this is just kind of a way, you know, to uh, to one way for you to, you know, 
distance or diversify yourself away from it, right? Because um, a lot of folks, and that's the other part of it too, why we end up having to be a little more expensive is because Amazon owns, owns your receivables at the end of the day, right? So if you don't pay, if you don't perform, you're not getting uh, those disbursements, right? So they're kind of, they, they, they own you, so to speak, in, in that regard, right? So this is where we operate differently, um, obviously. So no, that, but that's not true. Yeah, it's the partnership. We're, we're a compliment. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And, and I'd say that, you know, there's, I don't know what the number is, but I mean, obviously there's, there, there's a handful of our clients that, that have both, right? So Amazon offered me X and then uh, sellers funding just topped me up to, you know, whatever I needed. So, yeah. So, but like yeah, you we, said, we it could be, them. yeah, it could be a supplement, complement to it, et cetera. Uh, absolutely. Exactly right. I think in that same vein then to differentiate um, because we terms are one thing that Amazon offers you, et cetera, and it's hard to compete. Yep. I mean, shippers could argue it's hard to compete with Amazon shipping rates, right? So that's exactly right. Yeah, same thing yeah. at scale. Uh, but can you talk about maybe an example where you guys helped a seller or made a difference with a client or provided growth? Um, just really the benefits of that partnership. Yeah, yeah. One one specific client that comes to mind. I mean, I mean, all our clients at the end of the day, the way that we position ourselves is. Um, like I had said earlier, as a growth partner, right, the focus is to help our clients scale their business successfully, right, um, and optimize their business because no one wins if we're putting our customers in a bind, right? Um, you know, it, it, it disrupts their business, um, you know, disrupts their cash flow, and, you know, we don't get our money back. So that, that's not our intention here. We're not in the business of, you know, uh, very opposite just, to Amazon, where it's automatic, it's automatically yeah, exactly disrupting your cash flow business because you can't get a hold of seller support. Hey, stop deducting, stop doing this. Um, it's happening. So. Exactly. So, so, so we're trying to put our clients in the best position to succeed. Uh, but one specific example is actually a kind of unique case where it was a predominantly brick and mortar uh, brand, a global brand um, that. Um, can't name, but if I named, I think you, you'd know them, Darren. But um, yeah. they, um, right at the start of the pandemic, um, obviously with everything shutting down, uh, they did a complete 180 and pivoted towards online, right? Um, and this is a business that was doing um, well above 50 million in annual revenue. Um, and so they completely, they did a complete 180, pivoted towards online, but in order to kind of help them through that transition, we were able to offer them a multi-million pound line of credit um, that they were able to draw at leisure as they needed, right? And not only that, but we were able to give them a long enough runway where there wasn't kind of a, a target on that back or kind of walls closing in on them, um, you know, to kind of have this project up and running um, and be successful, right? So we were able to extend the terms of our traditional um, you know, uh, agreements, um, and we were able to give them this kind of revolving facility uh, that gave them the runway. And basically, in in a matter of you know about a year or so, um, you know, they've done a, a complete 180, um, and you know, they're kind of exceeding expectations and, and thriving online, not only via own platform, omnichannel, uh, but we've also helped them on Amazon as well. Just kind of leverage our network, uh, the resources that we have. Um, and they were completely new to Amazon, but we were kind of able to, to give them, you know, that, that boost that they needed to, to be successful on that platform as well. That's awesome. Uh, we, we haven't, uh, we haven't talked about other platforms outside. I, correct me if I'm wrong, but you guys do fund or help with 
you know, whether it's walmart.com or Shopify or other platforms. Is that right? We, we do. That's exactly right. Yep. Yeah. So anything that essentially trades online, um, we, we can support. Um, so we do, as of right now, have integrations with most uh, online marketplaces and platforms, um, at least in the U.S. And, and U.K. and continental Europe. Um, but even if it is an own website, let's say, or, or a platform that we don't have an integration with, um, we'll just kind of do it the old fashioned way. We'll roll up our sleeves and, you know, we'll, we'll kind of look at the numbers and um, more likely than not, we'll, we'll be able to offer some sort of funding for the business. A little, a little off topic, and, and I know we didn't really prepare much for this, but just curious, uh, yeah. it's the hot topic in the Amazon or online space aggregators. Yeah. Um, I know overseas, um, a lot of people don't realize Berlin Brands is yeah. actually number two. Everyone likes yeah. to talk about yeah. Thrasio and Perch, and know. Day, but people keep forgetting about Berlin. They're right there. Um, yeah, there's some heavy headers over here too. Yeah. yeah, I'm sure, exactly. And that's why I bring them up. I was curious, has your company had any interaction with any of the aggregators? We have. We, we have a good relationship with, with most of these guys, um, actually, because again, we, I think we complement each other. Um, right. So in what we do. And then um, the interesting thing, I think, and, and we were just talking to, to one of the aggregators about this uh, not too long ago, is kind of the data that we're seeing in terms of the funding that we're offering to businesses. That aggregator sweet spot, it's kind of, it has kind of dried up for us a little bit in terms of funding. Um, so businesses that are, you know, doing an annual revenue anywhere between, you know, call it 2 million to 10, 10 million or so, um, you know, I think. A lot of those businesses, because of you know the emergence of this you know aggregator yeah. uh, kind of spree, um, you know has has kind of affected you know the the lending side of things there. But what we're seeing as a result is anything below that threshold or above, there's been you know a significant spike. Um, businesses just kind of focus it on lower end um, to scale up their businesses, right? To get in a position to to be able to potentially be acquired or exit. Um, and then again, larger businesses, kind of, you know, uh, business as usual, uh, continuing to, you know, just utilize working capital to, to, to support their business. Yeah, it's a fascinating time to be able to start anything you want and grow it, scale it, sell it um, without leaving your bedroom. Basically, It's incredible. It really yeah. is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I love well, it. Well, I, I know we had some other questions and things slated here, but I, I'll kind of kind of bring us to a close a little bit and would love to give you any, uh, a chance if there's any other thoughts or, or comments or insights, we didn't really get to touch on some of the other international marketplaces like Mercado Libre or Pindua, et cetera. Uh, but anything else you want to offer up to the audience, any insights or even actionable tips, if you have any, uh, I think that would be great. Yeah, no, I was just briefly actually going to touch on that. Um, I do think that, you know, we are living in the golden age of e-commerce. Um, and I think we're still very much in the early innings of it. Right. Um, and so, not only on Amazon, but as you had touched on, I think just marketplaces and e-commerce globally too uh, presents such a huge opportunity uh, for sellers. Um, so I think one interesting, I was going to mention earlier, one interesting piece of resource, again, most folks may already be familiar with it, but uh, TameBay puts out uh, an annual report of the fastest growing marketplaces. Um, so I think that's a, an interesting resource for people to just have a look at and just keep an eye on, um, you know, so some of the the you know, more common marketplace in Europe being bull.com in the Netherlands, Allegro in uh, Poland. Uh, and then you have niche marketplaces, right? Like G2A for gaming or Mono Mono for DIY and gardening. Um, and then just looking at, at Latin America as well, right? So I think, I know that that's a little bit more of, 
opaque or just a, 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 a less frequented or explored market. Um, but there's so much opportunity there, right? Oh, yeah. so you're talking about some of the largest economies in the world um, and some of the fastest growing e-commerce markets globally as well. So I think actually Argentina leads that ranking. Argentina is the fastest growing e-commerce market in the world. Uh, Brazil is not too far from that. Um, so I think there's a lot of opportunities to be had. And there are a lot of, of service providers and businesses that are popping up to support um, sellers in, you know, um, in, in kind of going international and cross-border, especially as it relates to some of these, you know, uh, more emerging markets, uh, let's say. So, but yeah, no, I, you know, thank you for your time. Really appreciate it. I um, want to wish everyone listening here the best of luck uh, in their business. Uh, I think the time is now. I mean, uh, there's so much opportunity ahead of us. Um, it's funny. I know we talked to some folks that have been in the space a little longer and they say, you know, look back, oh, 2017 was the year, or, you know, people, you know, in 2020 will say, oh, so-and-so was the year. But I think we're going to be looking back on, you know, 2021, 2022, a couple of years from now and saying, you know, that was also the time. So I think we're, we're not too late. Um, there's still so much opportunity um, ahead of us. So super excited. You're so right. Uh, it's the constant saturated question that's out there. Which exactly. Is, is exactly. it saturated to start on Amazon or should I start an FBA business? Should I sell on right. Walmart.com? Is it the right, right? So yes, you couldn't be more right that um, now is a great time. And I don't think it's going to slow down anytime soon, quite frankly, especially when yeah. you think about the fact that still 80, 85% of retail is still offline. It's still bricks and mortar. So e-commerce, at least in the States, that's the statistic yeah. in the States, yeah. uh, is only 15 to 20% of all retail. So we haven't even scratched the surface, quite frankly. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah. And that's with in a report I saw just the other day um, that BCG put out uh, that $5 trillion in, in annual sales shifted from offline to online in the past year. And again, that still represents you know a minority of uh, overall retail sales. Um, so yeah, so there's still a huge opportunity in front of us. Yeah, well, and then the latest Walmart earnings uh, indicated what, you know, I don't want to say post-pandemic because we're still very much in it yeah. uh, at the time of this recording anyway. And it, sh it showed a shift where actually their online sales were showing such growth. And then now recently after vaccinations, et cetera, people yeah. were starting to go back to stores. So offline sales started growing again faster than online sales yeah. uh, for mm -hmm. the first time in a while. Um, so that was interesting to see kind of the, the consumer behavior is kind of in a pendulum a little bit, depending on what the, the conditions across the, the world, for that matter, are health-wise. Yeah, no, absolutely. But even with that, I think e-commerce isn't going anywhere. As we oh, all for know. sure. And, and, and another, just very quick, and I, I can share this with you, Darren, but an interesting chart that I saw uh, by McKinsey kind of showing the distribution between marketplace specifically versus a uh, proprietary platform, right? So own website, let's say. Um, and so back in 2017, uh, that breakdown was actually 25% uh, marketplace versus 75% own website. Mm -hmm. um, and the forecast, it's now about 50-50. And by 2023, the expectation that it's going to be 60% marketplace and you know, about 40%. Um, so it's going to invert. Um, so yeah, so I think we're, we're in the right place talking about uh, marketplaces. Well, by the way, no surprise, Amazon led the way in that trend in the sense that 2017, 16, it was 60, 40 or 70, 30, 1P versus 3P own yep. versus marketplace. It is now flipped. And as of today, uh, 60, 40, something like yep. that, 70, 30 yeah. is marketplace. 
So not surprised by the overall marketplace versus own direction that you're describing, given that Amazon represents a large share uh, of that e-commerce space. Uh, Leonardo, tell everybody, how can they get a hold of you, find out more about seller funding? Yeah, absolutely. So me personally, uh, very easy, Leonardo at sellersfunding.com. Um, feel free to reach out to me, send me an email. Um, looking forward to it. Would love to speak with you. Um, if you want to learn a little bit more about us, uh, just go to sellersfunding.com um, and you know, have uh, all the information there. Um, but yeah, feel free to, to reach out. We'd love to speak with you. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us. I know it's late your time. So even no more so, a pleasure. I really appreciate it. And then as always, to the rest of our audience, remember, protect your brand, sell more. Thank you for joining us. Thanks, guys.